grit for the day. Lived experience from influencers who overcome with CEO and founder, Thomas Lee Johnson. Of me and my family, um, just a little background. So my dad came from a pretty non-religious background. My, my, um, my mom though, her father was like an old school Mennonite preacher. Okay. Last name was Yoder, Pennsylvania Dutch. And so my mom, dad got married, moved to suburban Philadelphia. My mm -hmm. mom grew up on a farm. Okay. Um, and so total culture shock, I think for her, but for, for us as a family, um, you know, a couple rules of the house, no shorts. Uh, all the girls wear dresses. My mom wore a head covering or a scarf. Wow. Um, and we had like pygmy goats in our backyard. And we literally lived in this middle class, suburban, Philadelphia neighborhood. With and, goats in the backyard. Yeah, and we were just like a total anomaly. And, oh my God. Um, you know, like no one had a grid for us. And by the way, my mom and dad had 10 kids, 10, and we were homeschooled, no TV, no sports. And so this is just a picture of, wow. you know, just a snapshot in time. And as you can imagine, like no one in the area had seen anything like it. They thought we were Amish. <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they just, they said, yeah, that's that Amish family. Hey, it's good to see you. Welcome to Grit for the Day podcast. I am CEO and founder of AgileImmersive.com, Thomas Lee Johnson. AgileImmersive.com is a transformation strategy firm where we help organizations transform into higher performing versions of themselves. In these times of shared turmoil and shared calamity, we must also share our collective wisdom and the psychological safety of belonging to the human family. Umoja ni nguvu. Unity is strength. In today's Grit for the Day episode, we talk to Nate Howell, and he's going to tell us about his grit story, where he found the grit to make bold moves. Nate is a former uh, participant in a venture capital firm who went on to found his own uh, go-to-market uh, consulting firm. Uh, he has known success and has been mentored by multimillionaires and billionaires. Nate has found courage, even though in his early life, he found that he felt the need to wear a mask. He was traumatized as a child. And he was low in his self-esteem and his sense of self-worth. He's going to talk about finding the courage that allowed him to confront the reason why he was wearing a mask. He's going to talk about the truth that he learned that helped him overcome his trauma. He's going to find and identify and highlight where his self-worth comes from. Join us in a marvelous conversation with Nate Howell. I grew into my teens um, because of some of the, um, uh, like, because of some of the, the ways that I was ostracized, I really felt like I needed to create this alter ego. So there was definitely some shame with my family. I really tried to hide that. 
I ended up going to moving from homeschool to public school in the ninth grade. And then my, um, my last two years of high school, I went to like a private uh, school, a private Christian school. And so I started um, differentiating myself from my family to, to, to fit in, to prove myself. Um, I didn't mention this prior, but I also had some, some sexual trauma in my childhood, which was really tough. That coupled with the rejection, being called Amish, being different, being homeschooled, not being able to play sports. I was trying hard, man. I was like, I'm going to go prove myself that I have worth, that I can fit in. And so it, it was really a like a next step in that iteration. It was really funny because I had this, you know, just to, I, I don't know if you remember like back in the, 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 the late 90s, early 2000s, like Abercrombie and Fitch was the thing. Oh, yeah. And I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch. Yeah. And I wore all the gear and spiked my hair up. And, you know, and it's like people thought I was just this normal kid. When I would go home, though, I, I went home to this totally different environment. What was it like? Okay, so explain to me the first time your mother, your Mennonite mom with her head covering, saw her son walk through the door, Abercrombie and Fitch preppied out with the hair gel. What did she say? She was, I mean, it was it was an evolution. But I would say that leading up to that moment, I, you know, I started drinking, partying, um, you know, playing the part of a very different lifestyle. And so I don't think at that point it was a surprise to her. Oh, um, okay. You know, I, I, I drew a pretty hard line in the sand in my teenagers that, you know, I was always going to take a different path. And so that's really what led me to California. I had some buddies that had gone to, to Malibu, California, to this beautiful school, Pepperdine on the beach. And I thought, man, that sounds like the paradise city. I can, I can fully remove myself from this environment, from this stigma and start this new life for myself. So it was really based out of fear, based out of trying to be accepted, wanting to distance myself from an identity that was that was really challenging as a child. And so for me, it was an escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's yeah, that's what led me to California. Wow. And and so Pepperdine is is you know has a reputation for being a school for the 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 uber rich. Yeah. Uh, the privileged. Yep. How how did you feel knowing your background from your family, uh, you know, family of 10 kids, you know, Mennonite, Philadelphia, and being among the very, very privileged in California at Pepperdine? Yeah, I would say at that point, I had become very good at wearing a mask, playing a part, looking a part, but internally, uh, Feeling that I was a, a very different person, mm. and so uh, it was. It was a very unique experience. I remember um, partying at one of Larry Ellison's houses on the beach in Malibu, California, and having friends that were not from millionaire families, but were from billionaire families. Which was just, you know, you can contrast that to the way I grew up: ten kids, homeschool, goats in our backyard. <laughs> Uh, pygmy goats pygmy goats not you know we we weren't um like in poverty but we were certainly living like paycheck to paycheck Mm. my dad supported the whole family with a small business 
And so it was like, it was a huge contrast to the way that I'd grown up. And I would say that for me, I was able to um, sort of blend in, fit in, but I always felt different. I felt at the core that at any point I could be exposed and that I needed to prove myself. And so it was, it was a really unique experience for me in that way. And I, you know, I, I was able to build a great network and great group of friends, but there was a part of me that this, this thread of, I need to try to fit in to be accepted. I need to look a certain way. I need to talk a certain way. I need to be a certain way, even if it's not who I am on the inside and a lack, you know, and, and, and a fear of like at, at some point being exposed. And so that, that was a very weird kind of paradoxical experience. And I would say overall it was like a net positive experience and I grew a lot, but, um, you know, part of that was some, some alcohol abuse and, and somewhat of a dualistic lifestyle. And so I would say as a, you know, a negative undertone, one of the things that I really struggled with, uh, throughout high school and then even more so in college is an alcohol problem and a depression that would come and go pretty, pretty bad depression in terms of, you know, is, is life, I was never suicidal, but is life worth living? Do I have what it takes? Am am I lovable? And so, yeah, maybe more than you asked for, but that's, no, that's a little window into some of the, yeah, the, the challenges I was yeah. experiencing in my life at that time. Yeah. You know, often, you know, I, I grew up in, in Prince George's County, Maryland, which is, you know, uh, my wife, when we drive through my old neighborhood, my wife says, is it safe here? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a direct quote. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> and so just to kind of put in, uh, kind of put a nutshell around where I grew up. Um, and then, you know, I went to the International Baccalaureate High School, et cetera. Uh, so I definitely wore the mask, mm -hmm. know how to wear it well. Yeah. Uh, heck. Uh, became a professional actor yeah. <laughs> wearing a mask, right? Yeah. Um, there's, I remember a moment, and, I, and so this, I'm setting this up for a question for you. I remember a moment where there's a dis, the, the dissonance between who I actually am and who I projected to the world mm -hmm. became so stark that I surprised myself. I woke up shocked yeah was there ever a moment when you felt recognized cognitively processed the dissonance yeah absolutely that takes me to a very unique point in my my college years and so just to wrap up my 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 career at Pepperdine um my final semester I was living such a a, a dualistic life in terms of partying and I, I lost control. I spun out of control. And so my final semester of college, I failed a class for the first time. Mm. I ran out of money. I got my car towed and, and didn't have money to recover it. And I had a an internship lined up with a, a private equity firm in Northern California. And that was my dream. I lost the internship because I failed a class for the first time ever and needed to take summer school to pass. And so that just started this cycle of negativity. And I remember 
just feeling at, at a very low low. Um, I had a, a flight booked home. I planned on moving to, back to, to California. And I partied so hard that night, I woke up, passed out in a house, and missed my flight, didn't remember the night. And I just remember this moment of, man, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing here? How did I get here? Um, is it worth it? And so that's a point in time where I, it, it was just like a, 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 an inflection and a reflection where, where I, I just decided, like, I think enough is enough. And I remember rebooking my flight back to Philadelphia and thinking to myself, I, I, think, it, I think it's over. Like, I think I'm ready for a new season. I, I don't like the person that I'd become, and it's time for a change. And then just an add-on to this, I go home, I leave all my stuff at a friend's house in Malibu, California, he was in commercial real estate. He was out of town for the weekend, and his house burned to the ground in the Malibu what? fires. So if I had any question as to whether or not I'm going to go back to California and try to reestablish this life, not only had I lost my car, this job internship I'd lined up, but now I lost all my belongings in a fire. Oh, my god! And I, I felt that this was just a, a point in time where it's like, burn those ships, it's time for a change, and it, it's time to, to, to create a, a healthy lifestyle for myself. So, yeah, I would say that was that moment. <laughs> that was, that's a, quite an inflection. That's, that's a dramatic and, and uh, you know, undeniable inflection point. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the circumstances of that fire, yeah. I mean, were they... Questionable or were they? No, so this was actually so Southern California is plagued with wildfire. Oh, it's wild, wild it was a wildfire. Wild okay. And my friend had this house that was adjacent to, you know, this this mountain and the wildfire came down the mountain and like burned the house to the ground and, and with that my belongings. And so at that point, I'm out of money, don't have a car, don't have any belongings, you know, I'm I'm not going back. Wow, amazing! Yeah. yeah, what was what was the first thought that came to your head as you landed in Philly? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't remember what the first thought was when I landed, but I can tell you, at that point in my life, I, I really, I really thought two things. One. I really need a safe place to rehab because I, th I think that at that point in my life, I was somewhat of an alcoholic, to be honest. I used to drink almost every night at that point in my life just to fall asleep. It, it helped pacify me. Um, and the other thing was I, I just need help. Like, I need help in general. And so I... Um, I decided the best and safest place for me to get that help, ironically, was back at my parents' house in this environment that I tried to escape so many years before. Um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of irony in that, but that's what I ended up doing, just living at my parents' home for a couple of years because for me it was a safe environment to, to find myself, if you will. Yeah. 
I want to ask a more delicate question. Sure. Um, you mentioned sexual trauma. Yeah. Um, can you elucidate on that a little bit? Yeah, so maybe without going too, too deeply into details to protect people, um, you know, probably at, um, I don't know, somewhere between the, the ages of 8 and 11, um, I was brought into um, some, I would say, sexual experimentation with, um, with just broadly some, some family members, and that really traumatized me significantly, and that led to some pretty destructive patterns like alcohol, um, like you know, some of the, the sexual relationships I uh, entered into later in my adolescence into college. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was another nail in the coffin in terms of just really not feeling worthy, not, not believing that my life had true value and really becoming a, a professional actor to to, to wear a front and to present in a way that is acceptable right. and yet not feeling that internally. Mm. Yeah. So we, we're, we're back mm -hmm. in Philly. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you've already made a, 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 both an emotional and intellectual decision. Mm -hmm. Something needs to change. Yeah. I need help. Yep. I cannot keep living this way. Yeah. Who, what was the relationship and relationships that mm -hmm. you reached out to and that got you on a road to recovery? Yeah. Yeah, so I would say that um, my, my faith is really key for me. So I really, um, I really purposed in my heart to try to get to know this, you know, this God that I had been taught about growing up and truly experience um, this unconditional love that I t was told existed in, in the heart of this, this God. Um, and so that was a key part of my healing, but the way that it manifested in relationships um, was, was through, through a few people. And one was a, a, a mentor that has become one of my closest friends, a guy named Rob, who was a successful business owner and former professional athlete, who I really looked up to. And um, we became friends and acquaintances, and, and he was someone I just felt that I needed to share some of the depths of my story specifically around the sexual trauma because that was one part of my life I felt was so shameful, so hard. I needed to hide it for my whole life. No one could know about it. If they knew about it, like, there's no chance that they would love me right. because I was broken. I felt broken. And so yeah. I remember sitting down at a restaurant and resolving to share my story with this guy Rob and I thought you know I have nothing to lose if he rejects our friendship like I just need to get it out and he really um, 
listened, and it was quite the opposite. He affirmed me and was very affirming and, and, and empathetic in that, like, that's not you, and that should have never happened, and I'm so sorry. And through that, he continued to invest into our friendship, encourage me, inspire me, and to, to, to call out greatness in me that I didn't see in myself. And that really helped start opening my heart because that was a part of me that was just locked up in lies and hidden. And I felt that it needed to be, you know, a, a secret. And so that's the first person. I would say another person um, would be my now wife, Carrie. So we became good friends. And How did you meet? So we met at a Christian camp in high school, and we like to joke around because I share a little bit about my past. Um, ironically, again, she, she saw me as a player and a hypocrite because, frankly, I would go to Christian camp to hook up with, with girls, and that's what I thought I needed at the time for validation. She would go to Christian camp to learn about God, and so we joke around and say I was a, a player and a hypocrite, and... She was a Pharisee, and she really didn't like me. She'll tell you to this day, I did not like me. I thought he was cocky. I thought he was a player. I thought, like, I, I didn't want to go anywhere near him. But she will tell you she thought I was very attractive. <laughs> the player, the Pharisee. And so that, that's how we met, but we weren't friends. We didn't know each other. Um, and wow. she happened to go to school in the South. She got her master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And she was looking for a job in the, the, the Philadelphia area, and she knew my sister, and so she stayed at my parents' house. And um, she, you know, she she knew who I was, wanted nothing to do with me. But she she just started coming around. She got a job in the area. She started integrating into some friend groups, and uh, we became good friends. And but that's how we met. Yeah, that's a great story, man. Yeah. <laughs> so. You reach out, you're, you're getting healthy, sounds like you're getting yeah. healthy in Philadelphia, Yeah. Um, positive relationships. Mm -hmm. What choices do you make in terms of business, Yeah. Uh, in terms of, you know, next steps? Yeah. So from, from a career perspective, um, I had partnered in two different companies. I had a, you know, very close relationship with my business partner. He happened to be my brother. Um, I had really plowed my time and effort into to growing to two different companies that we were we were partners in, and I'm talking, you know, some weeks, hundred hour weeks, and um, but as I started to to discover who I was, that I was lovable, that I was accepted, um, I I really felt that I needed some time to just. Um, take a sabbatical, if you will, to rethink my life. And this is this is me in my mid-20s. And so at that point in my life, I decided to basically hand over the reins of both companies to my brother and, and um, take some time to reflect. And I'd, I'd just gotten married. And um, so, so I gave that up, actually, at the time. And, and during that interim, I spent some time in Afghanistan, uh, volunteering for a nonprofit there, which was really an, a whole nother story, but pretty life-changing, uh, establishing my marriage. And, and then I went to a ministry school for 
year. And so that was, that was what I felt called to do in that season. It was a bit of a reset and it was very timely, um, but that led me into a whole nother career, which is sales and scaling tech companies. And it's what I've been doing for the last close to a decade now. So Nate, you're, man, your choices are almost like whiplash inducing. It's, <laughs> it's like, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to move from one end of the country. I'm going to move from Philadelphia to yeah. Malibu, California. Yeah. Then I'm going to move back. Yeah. I'm going to get healthy. I'm yeah. going to start companies. I'm going to scale those companies. I'm then going to be bought out of those companies. And I'm going to go to Afghanistan yeah. with my new wife. Yeah. And I'm going to do nonprofit like ministry work with yeah. Afghans. So, you know, if I had to label this grit story, it's it's grit with transitions. Like, yeah. just you have the courage to make bold transitions. Mm-hmm. Where do you find your courage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say first and foremost, I find my courage in the faith that I've developed um, with, with God, and um, I really seek to, I pray a lot, and, and I really seek to hear His voice for my life, and, and only make big decisions when I feel a peace and a confidence, regardless of what the cost is. Um, that, along with the sage wisdom of my wife, and I've been really fortunate to have a very strong group of incredible leaders and mentors that have invested into me. And so, you know, I mentioned Rob. There's a guy, um, Rick, who has invested into me, who's been a, a key mentor in my life. I didn't mention this, but after, um, after, so I went back to California, so Afghanistan back to California. And so I spent a few years back on the West Coast after ministry school. Um, I got into a, uh, a go-to-market company that specializes in scaling tech companies and the the CEO and founder of that company, Rick, has become a a, a great friend and mentor and and almost a, you know, a a father figure to me in many ways. And so I've I've been really privileged and and fortunate to have not only God, my wife, but some really strong, trusted mentors that have been able to help me uh, walk through some of these big life decisions. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, the grit to make bold transitions. Uh, you find the strength in your faith, yeah. in your wife, yeah. and, and in mentorship relationships. Yeah, and you could call them advisors. Yeah, advisors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And um, what is one piece of advice you feel like um, has helped you overcome your childhood patterns? Yeah feeling worthless and yeah. depression and having, you know, self-esteem issues and mm-hmm. feeling like you need to belong. Yeah. What is that, that, that overarching theme and mm-hmm. or the words and or the feeling even that, that helps you get over the hump? Yeah. A few things. Um, one, I would say if you resonate with my story, 
have courage to go after healing, which means having really hard conversations, opening up, um, being vulnerable with people that you trust, getting help, getting counseling. Because if you don't talk about it, if you don't get it in the light, you stay stuck. So I think that for me was really key. Like once I really started like sharing with the right people these these scary, hard, traumatic things that were really keeping me stuck. What I found is when I opened up, it gave me a different perspective. And I realized that while there was maybe some truth in these narratives in my head, it was frankly mostly lies. And I think it took you know, the, the community that I was a part of to expose that and hold the mirror up and say, look, like, this is what the mirror is. And, and, and the mirror you've been looking at, it's, it's, it's distorted. It's mm. not true. Um, so I think just having the courage to, to fight hard, to have those honest and courageous conversations. Um, the other, another thing for me, another two things for me would be forgiveness Um, truly forgiving people that had wronged me and choosing forgiveness over bitterness because I found that bitterness kept me stuck. And for me, bitterness is like this, this, this um, reel going through my mind of like, well, you did this and you did this and you did that. And therefore like you're a bad person and not choosing to let that go. And it doesn't mean letting those people into your life, but it does mean releasing them. And I've heard that bitterness is um, swallowing a poison pill and, and expecting the other person to die. And, and it, it only destroys yourself. And so that was another key thing for me to overcome some of the things that were holding me back. And then I would say um, thankfulness, like reflecting on what what is right, what is good in my life, and having this part of gratitude and gratefulness and remembering and, and thankfulness. And then finally, one thing that for me has been really helping more recently is comparison, like just squashing comparison. Because growing up with like a have-not mentality, comparing myself to all of these other people that in my mind had it figured out, it really robbed me of a lot of joy because the truth is we're all made very individually and we're we're all very different. And when we can embrace our uniqueness and be thankful and not so much worry about like how other people operate or what their skill sets are, or, you know, we can just focus on the way that God made us individually. Again, that's my faith playing out then I can be grateful and thankful in, in, in how I am and what I'm called to. And I don't need to compare myself to other people that um, create, you know, a, a, an insecurity. And so that's another big thing for me that's been really helpful. Mm, dude, that's so good to think about looking at the right mirror. The, the, the mirror that we hold up to ourselves gets distorted by our trauma, by our past, by our pain, looking at the mirror that our faith, that our family, that our friends who love us and truly know us help us hold up, mm-hmm. is such a different mirror. Yeah. And just understanding that there's distortion, so looking at the right mirror. Yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, just the, 
being able to be, you know, quiet enough to actually see mm -hmm. the truth of what's next from your faith, mm -hmm. uh, from your hope, from your expectations, mm -hmm. uh, is such a critical, critical mm -hmm. step in it. Yeah. Um, so you've explained where your grit to make bold transitions comes from, yeah. Nate. Uh, this has been uh, an exceptional conversation. Um, if, if you were to give advice to uh, the, the, the audience that listens to this podcast, that watches this podcast, uh, if they were to ask you, you know, how in the world um, can I find the courage in my context mm -hmm. to make a bold transition, what would you say? Yeah. I would say surround yourself with people who give you high challenge and high support that you can trust to, um, to start finding small wins that lead to big wins. And what I mean by that is if you, if, if you can start sharing your limitations instead of hiding, trying to cover them up, um, act as if they don't exist and you can find people who will truly not only empathize with you but challenge you and call the greatness out in you that exists even though you may not see it because you're blinded um, I, I would encourage you to do that now because um, my wife, again, is a marriage and family therapist, and she, she, she works with people who are still stuck in their 60s, in their 70s, wow. because they haven't had the courage to, to have these conversations, to get healing, to get the right perspective. So the, the, the sooner that you can work through that, the sooner you can, you can move on in your life to, you know, to be healthy and whole, and to, to make great impact with your life. And so, you know, I, I wish I did it sooner. I wish I knew um, these things at 12, 13, 15. <laughs> um, you know, I'm close to 40 now and, and I'm still learning. But there's hope for you today. It doesn't matter where you're at in your journey. It doesn't matter if you're 70 years old or you're 20 years old. But I would just encourage you to move in that right direction. Because once you're free, it unleashes you to, to go make great, bold moves. Here's to you, my friend. I hope you find your grit to endure and overcome today. Grit for the day. Lived experience from influencers who overcome. With CEO and founder, Thomas Lee Johnson.